Imagine living your life after 50 and feeling energized and excited about your future. Welcome to the Women in the Middle podcast, the podcast for women who are ready to figure out what they want and create the life they deserve. Here's your host and master certified life coach, Susie Rosenstein. Hey there, welcome back to the podcast, Women in the Middle. I'm your host, Susie Rosenstein, your master certified coach and midlife mentor. And I'm so glad to be here with you again for this week's episode, which is all about how to find and acknowledge your personal happiness clues. And let me just say that the weather these days is helping my overall happiness. I have many thoughts about the weather, many, many thoughts. Now they're getting a little better. And skorts and sandals are totally my jam when the weather gets nice and we're finally getting there. It's like I shift into my summer uniform. I have quite an assortment of skorts. Are you a fan? You get the totally cute look without the thigh chafing. Perfect combination. And there's often some great ones at Costco for some weird reason. I don't know why, <laughs> but I've, I've been lucky at Costco. Anyway, back to today's topic. Now, I know this might sound kind of obvious, personal happiness clues. I mean, personal means it's about you, so you must know, right? And happiness, happiness is a sense of well-being, joy, or contentment. But the thing is, happiness is something you may or may not know that much about when it comes to you both A, knowing what makes you happy, and B, allowing yourself to be happy. You know what I mean? Or at least happier. Let's take a look at this whole personal happiness thing and how to find clues to help you be happy as a clam, or at least happier than you are right now. First, it's important to know more about what makes you happy. And I want you to think about the different types of clues there are in your life just waiting to help you. When you look at your life, I believe it's sprinkled with happiness clues. But the problem is when you're stuck, it's not easy to find them. It's like, they're hiding. (laughs) They are hiding. Sometimes the clues are from your childhood, sometimes from your relationships, sometimes from your career, sometimes they're in journals, or even in the memories of others who know and love you. They're hiding everywhere. I'll give you an example. If you're a regular listener of the podcast, you may recall that I started tap dancing again after I turned 50. But the funny thing about my short history with tap dancing as a kid was that I didn't even remember it. It was only two years of my life. And the way I started to remember more about it was through connecting with a long lost friend on Facebook. And actually, this is one of the reasons I really like Facebook, to hook you up with long lost friends. So Lori and I were best friends in junior high. We were completely boy crazy together. We read Tiger Beat magazine together. We scrapbooked pictures of our star crushes from the Tiger Beat magazine together. We both loved a musical duo. They were young, like our age, um, back in the day. And they were called the Keen Brothers. And personally, I had a crush on Leif Garrett as well. (laughs) Do those names ring a bell? Uh, We went to Y dances together. Every Friday night, there was a dance at the local YMCA in my town. And it was a really big deal to go. Like, there wasn't much that you could do before you were 16. And, you know, we would go bowling, we'd go to the roller rink, and we'd go to Y dances. That was about it. (laughs) We played with makeup together, too. I remember falling in love with Maybelline eyeshadow. There was this one eyeshadow that was called Mink. 
It was kind of a brown gray and it had a pearly texture. Oh my God, I loved it so much. I used to wear it to the Y dances. I remember all of this stuff. But when we reconnected after all those years, she started talking about her memories of tap dancing together. And at first I was blank. And and then she shared more details. And gradually I remembered more and more too. I was kind of confused by not remembering this totally fun part of my life. But I guess it happened um, during the year my father died. And when you put it all in context, I might not really be that surprised that I forgot a few things during that time period. Like, I don't remember exactly the season of the tap dancing and when my father died, but it was that year and the year after. And uh, there's a lot of things I don't remember from then. So there you go. A personal happiness clue that I totally forgot about. I was totally unaware of it. And I think there are tons of clues lurking about from your childhood too. So many examples of things that brought you joy from the good old days. In fact, I have a worksheet that will help you dig around in those memories, and you can grab your copy at www.susierosenstein.com forward slash passion project 50 forward slash. This link will also be in the show notes, so don't worry about trying to remember it. For now, just think about what you really loved to do as a kid. Just think about it. Grab a cup of coffee or tea, sit down and reflect. Think about different periods of your life and just look for those moments and experiences where you were joyful. Not the trauma, not the stress, not the big transitions, just joy, just happiness. Make a note of what you find when you hunt for those personal happiness clues. Ask yourself a couple of important questions. First, what can you learn about what you find? And then second, are these sorts of things reflected in your life now? because it's highly likely that what brought you joy back then will probably bring you joy now as well. And there's another aspect to this first question about what makes you happy that's related to mastery. And what I mean is, think about the skills you developed when you were young. You know, things you got pretty good at and you knew it. You knew you were good at it. It wasn't just that you did the things. You were getting pretty proficient at developing the specific skills. I'm not necessarily talking about being competitive and having a state or national title in this or that either, or maybe something you uh, took lessons in, Um, although all these things would count. But I'm really talking about things that you thought you were really good at and it felt good too. So it could be something like that, but it doesn't have to be. Those are the things I want you to really zone in on. What were those things or experiences for you? So two big ones stand out for me. First, I started playing saxophone when I was 10 in fourth grade. I grew up in a school district that had an outstanding music program, and I got sucked right in and loved every minute. I was decent, but I wasn't a gifted musician by any stretch. Like, I, I, I know a gifted musician when I hear one, and that wasn't me. <laughs> I also didn't put that kind of time into it, but I did practice. Once I got into high school, the marching band experience loomed large. I couldn't wait. You know, band camp, the uniforms, the football games, the band buses, the competitions, all of it. Not only did I meet my best friend, a fellow saxophone player, through that experience, but I also got my first taste of leadership. I became a decent ensemble player, and I realized I had an interest in taking a deeper dive into all of it. I really enjoyed that. I knew what was going on. I knew I could help in the marching band context. 
I was one of the sax section leaders in the marching band. It was called the North Penn Marching Knights in Lansdale, Pennsylvania. And I was one of two women in the 20-member jazz band as well. Both the marching band and the jazz band were competitive, and the whole experience was particularly amazing for me on so many levels. Of particular note was in 1980 when I played Barry sax. Yes, little old me at 410, carrying that giant saxophone around and somehow coming up with enough air to make it sound good when I played it. But I digress. The year I played it, our jazz band competed with a tune I know that you know, Spinning Wheel by Blood, Sweat, and Tears. And oh my God, there was the coolest little solo at the beginning that the bass guitar player, that was the other girl, and I did together. We played it together. It was really, really fun. For sure, this was a highlight for me, and I'll never forget it, both how nervous I was to play it and how proud I was to know that I could play it well. And I just got a little flashback. We used to wear white pants, white bucks, and a blue, it was a light blue tuxedo shirt, like a ruffle shirt. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Oh, that was funny. Okay. It was the first time I was involved in a team sort of environment too these years with the band. And we were very successful. It was musical heaven. It was so exciting. And one of the most meaningful times of my life, such intense happiness. I'm proud to say that I've been in and out of community bands too, as an adult since then as well. So if you are a fan of the podcast, you've heard me make reference to the band experience here and there in different uh, ways over the years. And today it just really popped up in this context as well. So what I learned from all of this is the importance of music in my life in some way or another. Music, especially big band jazz, makes me really happy. My Mel Torme and Frank Sinatra collection are some evidence of this. Like, it's pretty impressive. Going to hear live music too. Do it. Do it. Because you know what? You might not get the chance. That's what happened with me and Mel Torme. I waited too long and I didn't get the chance to hear him live, and I totally regret that. Now, as I'm sharing these little personal insights, I want you to also be thinking about what areas of skill development and mastery you experienced when you were young. The more you think about what you always gravitated toward and loved spending time doing, the more memories you will uncover. And that brings me to something I'm really excited to share with you another recent discovery that is bringing me happiness, and I think it might just inspire you too. So first, we'll go way back to 1976, and it was not a great year in my family. It's interesting, I never put these two memories together, the one I spoke about earlier, just now, and the one I'm going to tell you about now, in time before this moment. I never put them together, the tap dancing and what I'm going to mention now. It was around the same time that my father died. And this memory is from the specific week in April, the week just after his death. You know, as I'm talking about this, I can't believe I never put this together before. As you can imagine, many people were visiting the house uh, after my dad died, after anybody dies, right? There's a lot of people that typically come to your house when it's not COVID. (laughs) This was back in 1976, like I said. So a lot of people were coming over and I had the opportunity to meet his doctor. His doctor was very concerned about our family. And I happened to see him take a pen out of his pocket and write something down while we were standing and talking in the kitchen. 
So I was 12 at the time. I don't remember the details about what he wrote, and I don't remember the details about what we were talking about, but I do have a vivid memory of him reaching into his pop pocket and taking out a pen I've never seen before. And this was the first time I saw calligraphy, the first time in my life he wrote with a fountain pen, right? I don't know if you've seen a fountain pen. It looks different. It's a little fancier and it's a little thicker. And then you take the lid off and it has that fancy nib, that, that point where the ink comes out. So I, I kind of remember it in slow motion, like he reached into his pocket on his shirt, he pulled it out and he started to write something. And I was like, what? is that? <laughs> I couldn't believe my eyes. I had never seen any, anything so beautiful. And I was unbelievably interested. I started asking him questions. I asked him to write an alphabet so I could practice the letters myself. Now, remember, I was 12 and this was a really bad week in my life. But I, I was fascinated with this. And of course, it was a welcome diversion from the overwhelming sadness and grief all around me. But still, I was completely taken with this beautiful art form and this little, this little snippet of time in the kitchen that was going on uh, for me right then. And then as the week progressed, I couldn't stop practicing writing alphabets with whatever ballpoint pens and markers I had access to. Like I didn't have a fountain pen. I just did whatever I could find and I just practiced. And then about a week later or so, I got a small package in the mail. It was the Speedball Calligraphy set, and it had a fountain pen, a few nibs, and ink cartridges, and most importantly, a book filled with basic alphabets and instructions on how to create them. He sent me the most timely, beautiful gift that not only ended up helping me cope with an incredibly difficult time in my young life, but also launched a passion and interest that I didn't even know I had. I didn't know anything about calligraphy. Nothing. I was a 12-year-old kid. No internet. We didn't get out much. You know, times were very different back then. You would only see something in, you know, like a magazine or, or at a toy store. Like, where would you see things like that? It never registered with me. Nothing like that ever registered with me. Isn't it fascinating, though, that two personal happiness clues of mine came from a horribly tragic period of my life? Like I said, I never put these two events together before, but wow. So as you're looking for clues, don't automatically rule out more difficult times of your life just because. You actually might discover something beautiful in there. So we've looked at what makes you happy and what you've learned to do really well and how that can make you happy. So really think about what comes up for you as I'm sharing these stories. Now let's dive into the second part of this topic, which is about how you apply this insight into your life on purpose with intention. Let's talk about how you allow yourself to be happier, how you create more happiness in your life on purpose. Does that sound like a weird question to you? Why would you have to invite yourself to, to be happier, to give yourself permission to be happier? It turns out that so many amazing women in the middle like you might struggle with this. I hear about it all the time. They do struggle with this. I have to say, I see it with my clients regularly. It comes up all the time. Once you're able to identify what it is that you want because it's related to happiness, 
Then the question becomes how you're going to apply it to your life. How are you going to make it happen for you? How will you implement it? How will you live in alignment with it? So, as with a lot of the work we do together here in the podcast, how you start has a lot to do with awareness. It really is the first step, but it's not enough. And this is why I go on and on about awareness and what you want not being enough in your vision boards, right? You can't just want something. You have to take action. So you got to be aware of what you want. That's really important. Or at least you have to be aware enough to go looking for it, but you also have to take action. And as you know, taking action isn't always that easy because the way you feel doesn't always support you taking action. Or in this case, the way you feel doesn't always support you doing the things that you know will support you being a happier you. So think about it. I mean, there's all kinds of things you want to do and you're not doing. (laughs) So let's look at it. Here are some common ways you might think will make you happier. Maybe having a morning routine, getting more sleep, having a great relationship, losing some weight, making more money, reading a book, learning to play piano, traveling more, having more friends, learning how to paint, exercising regularly. Pretty common stuff, right? A lot of us think that these things will make us happier. So you'll want these things or experiences in your life. You're a grown-up, right? So do you believe that you can actually create them in your life? If so, do you think it will be smooth sailing or not? What do you think might create a disconnect or resistance in your life so that you don't create this happiness for yourself? Do you know? Well, my friend, the way you're thinking about allowing yourself to experience more happiness, that's what. Thoughts like this can easily get in the way. Tell me what you think about these happiness squishers. It's always your thoughts. I'm not worth it. It'll never work. I'm too old. It's too expensive. It's not productive. It will mean I'm lazy. People will judge me. It's too indulgent. I don't deserve it. I can't do that. I'll suck at it. I've tried it before and I was unsuccessful. See what I mean? These kinds of thoughts won't help you find the happiness you're looking for. Even if you know what you want, if you're thinking thoughts like this, they will get in your way. Because notice how you feel when you think thoughts like these. Lovely, right? Typically some kind of negative emotion that pulls you away rather than helps you lean in and take the action you want to take in the long run. I'll share two examples of how this played out for me. First, my love of music. So I noticed something interesting when I was creating the podcast back in 2017 and selecting the music, like right at the beginning. My podcast producer presented me with three musical options after I described what I was looking for for the intro and the outro. I wanted real music, not synthesized, canned, or electric. I didn't like electric guitar either. I wanted it to be saxy, right? I play saxophone. (laughs) I wanted it to be saxy in some way. And I didn't want it to sound too new agey. A lot of life coach related podcasts have a kind of sound that's very new agey, like something you might hear in a spa. I didn't want that for this podcast. Um, The one I chose is all of the things I want but I hesitated when I heard it. I had a little resistance because it was so different. 
even though it made me happy. It made me smile. It had that upbeat vibe. Would it be too different? And then I spoke to my best saxy friend, and she agreed that it was the obvious choice. It was perfect for me and my podcast and the message I'm trying to share. It helps to set an upbeat tone for the podcast, even when we talk about difficult and serious topics, because what we do here in the podcast is serious business. Changing your life is no joke. Living intentionally is no joke, right? So really what happened is I noticed that to be happy, you have to want to be happy. So when you figure something out that is part of the solution to your personal happiness puzzle, the onus is on you to take action, to challenge your thoughts, to create what you want on purpose. With music, I'm going out of my way in general to have more fun with it. I'm trying to listen more. It's, it's actually something I appreciate um, on Peloton because that's a chance to be exposed to music that I really am not normally exposed to. I'm very narrow with my musical um, uh, taste, so I really don't listen to a lot of stuff. Um, so this helps me listen more, and I'm trying to listen more in general and even share more. And to that end, we've created a celebration playlist inside the Finally First Club, my midlife membership, and that really helps set the tone for how to have more fun on purpose in midlife. (laughs) I mean, it is a celebration playlist. All of the music is about celebrating. So what's coming up for you? Have you noticed yourself pulling back or hesitating about doing something you know is related to your personal happiness? Ask yourself why. What do you make doing the thing mean because the way you're thinking about it is creating some kind of an emotion for you that's pulling you away from your goal of more happiness? So really be curious. The only way you're going to get to the bottom of it is curiosity and compassion. I always think curiosity and compassion together, they're great. (laughs) It's a great duo. Okay, so second, as I mentioned, I got a lot of happiness from getting pretty good at calligraphy when I was young. But over the years, I didn't know what to make of this. I would just do it a little here and a little there for fun. Like I ended up getting uh, a, a, um, what do you call those? Like a marker. Calligraphy pens now are very accessible. You can get them in like a felt marker, a felt tip marker. Uh, You don't need all the ink. Of course, you can still use all the ink, but you don't need it. So I've really just gotten into that. Like I don't do much with it. Because like I said, I didn't know what to, I don't know what to make of it. Um, But the clues from different parts and times of your life don't always make sense or seem related. So you're left with a bunch of individual events without the big picture. That's your job. And I see this so clearly now these days into my 50s much easier to see more about the big picture. So a few years ago, I discovered a meditative sort of doodling called the Zentangle Method, Zentangle. It's an easy to learn, relaxing and fun way to create beautiful images by drawing structured patterns. Have you heard of this before? I was really attracted to it. Like when I saw it, I just felt myself going, oh my God, oh my God, this is so much, this is so exciting. Like I could just feel the tingly excitement about it. So I was really attracted to it and the way it's so small and portable and doable. So you, you work on small tiles uh, when you do this art. And I loved the focus and I loved the creativity and I loved that it was 
using a pen and a pencil. Very, very simple. And I loved um, all of it, right? It was just, it was like, oh my God, look at this. <laughs> really, that's what it sounded like to me. That's what it felt like. So like I said, this was a few years ago. And when I realized that I could become a certified Zentangle teacher, I knew it was for me. I've always been creative and I have loved doodling. I've had a fixation with beautiful paper too. I would always say, if I've ever uh, am able to own like a store, like a bricks and mortar business, it would be a fancy paper store. I just can't get enough of beautiful papers. I'm attracted to all of that stuff. So I signed up for this certification a couple of years ago. I think it was, it may have been two years ago. Um, and it was supposed to have taken place six months ago in Rhode Island. But with COVID, it got rescheduled. And then finally, finally, it was offered online. So it's been a while since I became familiar with the Zentangle method. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, maybe I would, I, I want to be this, maybe I want to get this certification. And then I signed up for it really early and I was waiting and waiting and then COVID and blah, blah, blah. So it like really, really stretched out. Last weekend, I finally participated in a four-day seminar and trained to become a certified Zentangle teacher, what they call a CZT, Certified Zentangle Teacher. And I enjoyed this training so much. I was totally in the present moment zone. And you know how important that is around here, being in the present moment. I was in that state of flow for sure. Flow is the mental state in which a person performing some activity is fully immersed. And wow, that is exactly what happened to me. And that is so much what happens with, with anybody who uses this Zentangle method. Um, I was just so excited. I posted one of my drawings from the first day of the training on my Facebook page. My mom commented immediately. She said, well, that goes back to the time that you got calligraphy set as a gift. And I was like, oh my God, she was right. I didn't put that together until that very moment. <laughs> I was thinking, oh, I like doodling. This looks like doodling. But tying it together with calligraphy didn't occur to me, but she picked up on it right away. And I didn't, there were no, no letters in what I posted. It was um, based on a circle. It was this pattern drawing that, um, that the Zentangle method is. Anyway, she said that right away. Wow, this goes back a long time for you since the time you got that calligraphy set as a gift. Doodling, paper, calligraphy, creativity, all of it. There it was, making me happy for 45 years. And with that said, I'm thrilled to bring the Zentangle method, this easy to learn, relaxing and fun way to create these beautiful images to you, to my community especially in the Finally First Club. This method is accessible creativity, something that women in my community crave. You don't have to think of yourself as artistic. You don't have to think of yourself as creative to learn this method. And I have a feeling you might be one of those women who's craving this. I hear it all the time from, from ladies in my community. It's a mindfulness practice at your fingertips. It's this beautiful combination. And like I said, it's included in the Finally First Club. And I can't wait. I am leaning into this. Now that I'm on to myself, I'm totally leaning in and bringing more of it into my life and my business on purpose. I'm allowing myself to be happier and I'm welcoming this into my world and hopefully your world too, because you're in my community. 
So there you go, some inspirational stories to get your happiness juices flowing. What do you love? What have you always been good at? Ask yourself these questions and then look at your life to see if your answers are reflected in the way you're currently living your life and perhaps even running your business. You can create more happiness in your life. You can create more happiness in your business. Happiness is a feeling that comes from the way you're thinking. What do you think about having more of the things and experiences that you love in your life? Is it easy for you? Are you open to it? Are you ready to make a decision to give yourself permission to allow it? Will you give yourself permission to create this reality for yourself? I say be curious and go for it. Your happiness is waiting for you to get out of your own way. I can't wait to hear what you do next. It's going to be great. And I want to hear all about it. So please let me know. Okay, that is it for this episode. As you know, my focus as a midlife coach is to help you waste less time being afraid of not reaching your potential and feeling stuck about all kinds of things, aging, empty nest, relationships, your career, being more compassionate towards yourself, all of it. It's time to get excited about your life again. Remember, being the queen of your brain domain is the best way to be, and I am here to help. This is what you learn when you hire me as your coach. Learning the mindfulness concepts are one thing, but when it comes to applying the concepts, that's when you really benefit from coaching. That's why you should make sure to join the Finally First Club. We are waiting for you. It's your one-stop home away from home for midlife coaching, community, and connection. You can finally get that fresh perspective and that will help you sail into your next chapter with a big smile on your face. And you can become a bit more creative too and learn the Zentangle method. You can tangle along with us. Join us now at www.iamfinallyfirst.com. For show notes and links, head over to www.coachwithsusie.com. And to get a copy of my new book, 50 Ways to Celebrate Life After 50, check out Amazon or your favorite online bookseller or go to www.50waystocelebrate.com. This book makes an awesome 50th birthday present. So keep that in mind too. Let's do this, ladies. It's time for you to put yourself first, one thought at a time. Thanks so much for listening and I'll talk to you next week.